Hey, welcome to the Missio Day podcast. Check us out on the web at missiodaychicago.com. I want to title this talk uh, this. Our life is amazing. My life is amazing. Why can't I enjoy it? Just let that sink in for a little bit. My life, our life, in this room is amazing. So why can't we enjoy it? Uh, for most of us in this room, uh, we have pretty great lives. We have, uh, I would say, in this room, we are privileged people. Um, we, we have pretty much anything we need access to, right? If any of one of you need water, go out and get water. Um, if any of you want endless cereal, just go down to Glenn's Diner on Montrose right here, and you can eat all the cereal you want. Um, you, we have access to the greatest food in, in the world, in Chicago, of course. I'm biased. Um, but we have access to a lot. Great coffee. I enjoyed my Ethiopian cup of coffee this morning. It was fabulous. Um, we have access to a lot. Now, there's other people in the world that don't have access to a lot. Um, you think of, uh, just even within America, you think of, um, next slide, the, the, the detention centers of, of people crossing the border, overcrowding and food shortages, migrants complaining of conditions in these holding centers. Not even in America, but you go further off, there's water crisis all over the globe. They don't have much at all. Now, um, those in this room, we probably don't have a lot of that demographic here. Um, but yet, if you're like me, um, we find ourselves in this weird paradox that we have so many of our needs taken care of, yet many of us um, in America, our society, there's always a low-grade uh, level of anxiety in our culture. There's a, a, a consistent level of, of, of battles of depression. You just look at the statistics of studies of college students right now, the pressure on college students. I was walking around the University of Chicago's campus the other day, and I was like, 55K, 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 like little bubbles were all over their heads. Not really, but in my head. And they were all just moping around, sad, stressed. And I was like, you think about this. Like, this is really unique um, situation where we um, have everything we need, yet no one is happy. And so... Um, these stats are of, of a recent study on college students. 62.8% report feeling very lonely. 63% experience overwhelming anxiety. And then 87% are overwhelmed by all they have to do. Um, and I think many of us, this is not just a college student issue. This is like I think all of us would probably resonate with some of those stats. And so the scriptures uh, talk a lot about Joy. Now, when we think of, what I want to make a case for today is that Jesus is the happiest person alive. That's my, that, that, I want to, in that we want to talk about how do we have the pathway to that joy. If Jesus is the happiest person alive, how do we have a pathway to that joy? Now, when we think about Jesus being the happiest person alive, that doesn't resonate with many of us. We probably think of the Dalai Lama, right? We think of some, like, mindfulness of how to be happy, positive psychology, all good and great. Um, but many of us, when we're thinking about pursuing joy, pursuing happiness, which, by the way, in scriptures, joy and happiness, when I use those terms, they're synonymous in scriptures. There's over... Um, um, 22 different Hebrew words that are used for some of the same root words for joy and happiness in the Old Testament. So joy, gladness, happiness, all those things are used synonymously, blessed. Um, they're interchangeably used. So when I say joy, happiness, we're talking about the same thing. Um, and so uh, Jesus uh, was one who embodied uh, the very nature of God, the very character of God, and, and he uh, was one that was known for um, being happy. Uh, Hebrews 1 says this, quoting the Old Testament, that he, was, um, he was, had the oil of joy 
above and beyond all of his other companions, that you, Jesus, have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. In other words, you are the most joyful person of all human beings. You have the oil of joy on you. We talked last week, Isaiah 61, that God wants to put a garment of praise on you instead of mourning, right? That he wants to put joy in our life and place it on our life. So we, and we, talked to, we said a couple of things just to recap, that joy is not something we are to pursue, it is something we can find. Um, that if you try to pursue joy, it's kind of like one of those bouncy balls that you're trying to like sit on and it's wobbly and it's elusive, right? And it, it always feels like it's out there somewhere. But there's some things we can do we're going to talk about today that are foundational to experience joy. And, and Jesus uh, was one of them. So Jesus was one of those guys that you would invite to a wedding, uh, to a big feast. John 2, uh, we see his very first miracle, so I'm going to turn there and read that. We're going to root ourselves there in Philippians 4. So if you have a Bible, you can hold John 2. You can also hold Philippians 4. So let's just dive in and read the story. So Jesus was invited to this wedding, and he says, On the third day, John 2, verse 1, there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus also was invited to the wedding with his disciples. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. And Jesus said, woman, what do you want? What does this have to do with me? Now, we have, we have no wine. She looks over at Jesus, a little passive-aggressive moment, right? Jesus, she's like, Jesus, you can do something about this, right? Um, woman was a term of endearment at that time. It sounds like the way it reads here as if it was harsh, but that, he was, that was a term of endearment, the way uh, Jesus would have said it. What, do you, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. We're going to come back to that. Um, his mother said to his servants, do whatever he tells you, which is like, you know, this guy has something that you want and you need. Now, there were six st stone water jars there for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. So you're looking at 180 gallons of water used for purifying. Um, this was something the Pharisees would have used to purify themselves before meals. Uh, they would have, uh, he said, Fill the jars with water. Um, he says, now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. So they took it. When the master of the feast tasted the water now, it had become wine and did not know where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. The master of the feast calls the bridegroom. He says, everyone serves the good wine first, and when people have drunk freely, then the poor wine. But you, you've kept the good wine until now. I love how the bridegroom just gets all the credit here, steals it all. Um, but he's saying, hey, you know, you've got great wine at the end of the party. This, and it says, this is the first of his signs Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory and his disciples believed in him. Now, this is Jesus' first miracle. Uh, and what I love is, 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 is this last phrase I want to zoom in on. It says this sign. So these signs were done to show who Jesus was to point towards a, a reality. All throughout John, you're going to see signs, and they're all to point to a spiritual reality, an earthly reality, a, a supernatural but yet earthly reality. And this very first sign, it says that he did it to manifest his glory. Now, when you hear the word glory, don't think like, you know, um, celebrity saying, I did this all for the glory of God kind of thing. Um, glory throughout the Old Testament was always about God's person and his presence. So, so here's Jesus saying that I did this, turned water into wine to bring joy. Wine, all throughout the Old Testament, was synonymous with joy and celebration. 
Jesus' first miracle that God wants to do is like, I turn water into wine for people. I bring celebration and joy to people. I care about the social party right now. I care about the happiness of these people. The very first miracle God did in the flesh was turn water into wine to reveal his glory. Do you, are you catching this? Like he does, does this because he cares deeply about our happiness and joy. So no, make no mistake, you're like, okay, maybe that's a stretch, you're, you're doing pastor things with this passage. No, all throughout the rest of John, talks about, Jesus talks about joy, all throughout. So John uh, chapter 15 says this, he says that I have come um, so that your joy, I've told you these things so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be to what? Full, right? So he's saying, I want, I've told you these things so that you, I'm the God of joy, I'm the person who brings joy, and I want your joy to be full. So I say these things while I'm still in the earth world so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. Anybody walking around here with like, you know, I'm at the full measure of joy right now. Um, don't, don't really give me any more because I'm, I'm just at the full measure. I, I don't, I, you know, and so he's saying, I'm here so that you have the full measure of joy within us. And this is just a few examples. Jesus could just keep on going. Now, the thing here is when we think of, of, as Christians, I think a lot of times we, there was a phrase that I heard growing up. It was something like this. God doesn't want you to be happy. He wants you to be holy. Anybody ever heard that phrase before? Um, and, I, and I think that what, what, what happens is, is there's, we always overreact as human beings, right? Um, there's this overreaction of, of like people just full on wanting to do their desires, um, what, doing whatever they please, right? Pursuing their desires to no end. Um, and then we come this whole pendulum sling of like, oh no, you know, God doesn't want you to be happy. He wants you to be just holy and, and make sure you're just focusing on doing all the right things. Um, but I, I think there's a misnomer and a, a misnomer that God doesn't want us to be happy. Um, I think it's a, it's, a, it's a problem in our theology uh, that we would put parameters in a jurisdiction of like, God, your goodness can only come this far. Right? Your grace can only come this far into my life. Um, I somehow need to like kind of, you know, remove myself of things to enjoy. Now, um, we're going to get into that in a minute. Um, but I want you to see this, that, that in that tension, right, is this middle ground of obedience. And so the pathway of joy, I would say the, the pathway to joy, first of all, is obedience is the foundation. Obedience is the foundation. Now, like, if you're, like, my dad's desires, right, to say, like, my, my dad's desires when I was growing up as uh, throughout high school and freshman year of college, uh, my dad decided, you know what, your mom no longer makes me happy. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pursue an, a divorce and, and try to find happiness somewhere else. Now, that, that desire, right, to find happiness somewhere else is not going to produce joy. So whenever our desires take us away from obedience, from what God has revealed in Scripture, because all obedience is is God revealing this is the right way to live. This is the way that life will go well with you. So obedience is the foundation for joy. We can't, um, God doesn't give joy like it's just some like, boom, water balloon on top of you, joy. Like, I think sometimes we want that, right? Um, There's some people who have no happiness in their home and and, and cannot find any happiness at home. They come to church and then sing and pray and put on a a joyful show or or think that God's going to throw down some kind of joy on them, but yet there's no happiness Monday through Friday. And, and the reason is, is that God doesn't work that way. God doesn't somehow just, just drop some joy on us. Like, joy bomb, boom, here's joy on you. Now, I'm saying that he can do that, 
Um, there are times where he does, I believe, in my experience as well, does just surprise us with overwhelming amounts of joy. Uh, there's times where he does um, just, just bring joy to us. But God's means of bringing his joy is usually by redeeming and sanctifying the ordinary junctures of human life. Um, and so when members of a family are filled with love and compassion and a spirit of service to one another, the family has a reason to celebrate, Right? And, there, and, there's, and some people can run from podcast to podcast to, to worship song to worship song to church to church, searching the joy of the Lord, right? And joy is not found particularly in a certain kind of music or all those things are all good. Believe me, I, I love listening to worship music, all those things. It fills me up. But believe me that when the power that is in Jesus reaches into your work and reaches into your marriage, reaches into your relationships, reaches into the monotony of waking up and getting on the train and reaches into your suffering, when that God of power reaches in there, there will be joy where there was once mourning. You will move from mourning to mourning, as my professor used to say, that you will move from, from a sense of, 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 of being in, in, in weakness to joy. Now, the things that get us in the way of this obedience are the, the, the just um, rebellion of, of serving other gods, right? Um, that we think will bring us joy. And we're going to get into this. We're going to get into this in the next couple of weeks. But there's the God of wealth, right? The God of wealth is a thing that keeps us from experiencing joy. Jesus had to deal with people from which service of wealth was truly like a slavery. So many stories where such people could be freed for faith. He said, you could be freed for faith if you just leave your God of wealth. And they walk away sad. And now let's not assume that just like people who have a lot of wealth are the only ones who struggle with this. Let's not assume students or others who make little money are exempt from this temptation. The choices we are all making and all choices that we are all thinking about our education or spending our spare time or waking up on a Sunday morning, all reflect a commitment to one slave or another. Then there's a God of war. Now, when we think of God of war, I'm not talking, I, I know that that full-blown is like <laughs> countries fighting against each other, but zooming in on us, it's a very religious uh, God, that non-rational commitment to self-glory. This God of assuming that I can be my own jury, prosecutor, and hangman in other people's cases. This idea that I myself uh, can, can decide and determine what things are worth hurting others for. That's, uh, that kind of living will never bring us joy. And then lastly, that it all leads to the God of self. Now, all these commitments is that there's um, things that we can desire in life that we think are going to give us joy, but they're very limited, right? Like if I had, for example, a passion for auto racing, that's not going to really tell you how to retire, right? If I had... Like a passion for English language is purity. That's not really going to tell you when to marry. But when you have a passion for Jesus, everything is included. That's why Jesus said that the chief of all this right here, the, the, you know, the opposite of faith is not doubt. Often we think opposite of faith is doubt. The opposite of faith is anxiety. We are all facing just, that's why Jesus spoke so much to anxiety. Don't worry about what tomorrow will give you. Don't worry about tomorrow. It has enough worries of its own today. And he, what did he say? He said, seek first the kingdom of God and what? Everything else will be thrown in. That if you seek first my kingdom, you seek God above all, you're going to get everything thrown in. You're going to have joy that abounds and abounds. Amen? 
All right, so this first one, I think, is not really a good sell. So I wanted to, like, show you that obedience is the foundation, but here's the deal. This feels kind of, if you're like me, I'm like, eh, it feels really superficial, really external, but we're going to start getting into this. I did this on purpose because I want you to begin to see this unfold, that obedience is the foundation of joy, but what precedes obedience is gratitude. Gratitude comes before obedience, that um, with this anxiety being the opposite of faith, the opposite of like what Jesus had was, right, Jesus had the most joy of anyone. Why? He received from his Father, you are my beloved Son, I'm well pleased with you. He says, I'm, I'm, you're blessed, I'm happy with you, I get my joy from you. And then what did Jesus do? Happy are those who mourn, right? Happy are those who are poor in spirit. So Jesus went from receiving the joy of the Father, knowing that he was then joyful, then pronouncing blessing upon everyone. Jesus had like what I would call a blessed consciousness. I want you to get this. This is very important, church. The blessed consciousness of Jesus, that from the Father, he had this blessed consciousness in which he bestowed blessing. Now, many of us, we have the opposite because we have a cursed consciousness. What I mean by that is as kids, right, what do you see when um, growing up for all of us, like we once were all in high chairs and screaming and throwing food all over the place and everything. And then all of a sudden, our, kid, our parents had like a rough day and they're just like, shut up. They're like, shut to the, that little child. Now, kids are resilient. They just bounce back from that for so long. But that consciousness for so long of shut up, be still, stop, for so long creates a cursed consciousness that we then project onto everyone else. And we then go, you know what? Who do you think you are? Who do, who, who, who? And so our minds are wired towards, towards uh, uh, all of our minds right now. And what I want to show today is that um, the battle for joy begins in the mind. It begins in the mind. We can't control our emotions, right? Um, you can't control how you feel, but every single one of us can, can control and begin to change the way we think. And so every one of us right now, there's a stream of consciousness going on, right? You're looking down at your Bible, you're like, oh, my nails, I've been biting my nails. I've been doing that at the office because I'm nervous about work. I hate my boss. My boss is a piece of jerk. If I, my boss was right here, let me tell you what I tell him. What did the pastor say again? Like, you're right now just going through this stream of consciousness as we sit here right now. So every one of you, in your mind, there is a river that is flowing. And where that river flows is going to determine a lot about the joy in your life. So every, every one of us, we inherited a cursed consciousness, right? Every, every psychologist will tell you every abuser was first abused. The playground bully does that because they've been bullied. So our consciousness takes us on uh, a, a matter of suspicion, uh, a matter of paranoia, a, a, a manner of bitterness. Um, I'll tell you, let me just illustrate this with a story. Uh, this, is, this is a great story out of Africa. Um, the, this, the Africans tell this story when I was there in West Africa. There was a couple um, who had this big window, and there's this big window that overlooks the neighbor's yard. And the, they saw the neighbors doing their laundry, and every time they were hanging up the laundry in the yard, they're like, the laundry's still dirty. And they're like, oh, man, I don't know if they, do they know how to wash the clothes the right way? Are they using the wrong detergent? And so they noticed, like, every time the neighbors put up the, the laundry, it's dirty. And then one day, the husband looked over to the window, and he goes, oh, the neighbor's laundry's clean. They must have got, like, new detergent, something like that. And he brings his wife over. He's like, look, the laundry's clean. And she goes, no, I cleaned the window, right? <laughs> so so, so this, th this is kind of what we do. Uh, we, we have this, this sense of we look out and see dirt and suspicion, 
and bitterness and negative because it's inside of us. And so Jesus lived out of a grateful consciousness. And what, what I found is true is, this is why I said that, that we're going to move more inter- internal. I love what Ronald Rollheiser says. He says, gratitude is the basis of all holiness. Check, listen to this. The holiest person you know is the most grateful person you know. I want you to have to sink in. The holiest person you know is the most grateful person you know. That is true for love, right? The most loving person you know is the one who's the most grateful person you know because even love finds its basis in gratitude. Um, there's anything we might call love, but it is not rooted in gratitude will, in the end, become manipulative it becomes self-serving. If our love and service of others does not begin in gratitude, we'll end up carrying people's crosses and then sending them the bill for it later, right? Because if it, everything we do is not rooted in gratitude, it is all done for, for some other gain. And so obedience is yes, but the, the root of joy, the foundation, true foundation underneath obedience is gratitude. That at the heart of a joyful life, the thing we can control is this. Now, I tend towards um, negativity um, and towards melancholy. And so what I want us, our homework today is just really simple. Take five minutes every day and just list out the things that you're grateful for. Five minutes every day. Now, some of you already do this. um, And I would say do it for a month and see what happens. Um, And and begin, what if we did this and begin to choose the language to see the best in people? To use language describing things and people with the best that we have. Um, now, our, the problem, though, as I mentioned, is our minds. Now, our minds naturally uh, are wired to make, uh, our, basically our minds suck. I don't know how else to put it. Um, it. They're great. God made them. They're beautiful. They're amazing, but they, they suck. Um, they do weird things. They don't always see things accurately, right? Let's just go back old school to Psych 101. Um, check out this picture of these, these, two, these circles with other circles around them. If you could put this up. So when we evaluate things and see things, so our perception system, which one of those circles is bigger? Yeah, you know the trick, right? It's the same size, but the one on the right looks a little bigger, right? Now take them away, same size, boom. Uh, So now when you go back, do it again, it it automatically goes smaller. So in a sense, like when we, when we, this same happens to our value system. When we see ourselves bigger than other people or smaller than other people, it changes our perception of things, right? It changes the way we see others as smaller or bigger, depending on how we do that. And our minds are lying, lying to us all the time. Like, right, we do this with the audio of, like, what was it, the Yanny or Lori or whatever that thing was, that sound thing, right? We always do this, and our minds lie to us about what's going to make us happy. Um, they do this all the time. Now, one thing I thought about this was the Olympics, because I have a problem with the silver medal. The silver medal, like with gold, it's like, oh, I got gold. I feel great. When the bronze even, you're like, my parents were here. They thought I was going to get fourth. They're like, eh, and then I got, got on stage. I'm here. <laughs> like, I'm so happy. But the silver medal, I mean, gosh, the silver, congratulations. You almost won. You, out of all the other losers, are first, right? You are the first loser of all losers, the second person, now, I'm just, I'm poking fun of this, and you think about it, and they got to tell the story, they're like, how much did you lose by, they're like, you know, like, eh, eh. you're like, mm, mm. it's like, literally, like, they're like, what'd you do wrong, did you trip, you're like, no, I did push-ups since I was a baby, I didn't drink any beers, I didn't date with anybody, I gave my whole life to this, and like, mm, mm, and I'm second, it's like so crazy if you think about it, you're the second best in the world, 
But yet, now, I joke about this. I'm not joking. This is like a true phenomenon. Now, let's go to Michael Phelps. Everybody knows Michael Phelps? Super happy, winning gold, right? This is gold. Now, let's take a look at Silver's face. He's not very happy. And, and psychologists began to research this and show statistically, actually, that sil- people who won silver were not, they were angry, bitter, dissatisfied. You're second best in the entire world at your thing, and this is the result, right? Because our mind plays tricks on us with reference points. We, re- we have different reference points, and we're picking the wrong reference points. Now, now let's look at what, now you're like, okay, well, what about next slide? Look at Third place. Again, look at the guy on the far, look at the guy on the silver again. He's like, what? <laughs> Lonzo is not very happy. But now look at bronze. He's pretty happy. He's like, I just got on stage. I didn't think I was, but now I'm here. My point is, is this, is that we are all seeing life through the lenses of reference points instead of our blessedness. Instead of our position in Christ, that we the thing that's absolutely true of every single one of you is that you were made lovely and incredible by your creator. Every single one of you in this room. And that you have a God who gave his life for you. Jesus Christ, when he says, my hour has not yet come at that wedding, all throughout scripture, my hour was a reference to his death. It was a reference to his death. And he says, mom, my hour hasn't come. My wedding. And then what did he see his death as? He saw it as a wedding. He saw it as a joyful celebration in which he was getting all of you back. And he was coming in loving union with you. That he would have a perpetual state of union and joy with every single one of you. And so he says, my hour has not yet come. There's going to be a day where the wine is going to flow and I'm going to bring new wine to all of you because I'm going to one day die and resurrect from the dead to give you full pleasure. Full pleasure in me. And so Jesus Christ... He says, my hour hasn't come, but yeah, he's going to give us this amazing thing. Now, um, this is, the, our mind plays these tricks on us, but then lastly, is uh, we have to, to have gratitude, we have to have awareness. So awareness comes before gratitude. So awareness. Now, just practically speaking, and I'm almost done, is uh, we, we, what are we aware of, right? Like when you're walking around the, today, are you aware that you're breathing in, you're breathing out? Um, are you aware of, like, the, the beauty of, of the sun coming in, even though it's November? Uh, every single day, we are aware of different things. And what often is, if we're going to have joy, we have to be, oh, savor God's goodness. Savor God's goodness. We need to be people who are resting and playing and enjoying God, enjoying his good creation. Um, for example, let's just, everybody close their eyes right now. Not gonna, this is not a cult. We're not going to do anything crazy. Um, but I just want you to close your eyes, and I want you to think about the happiest moment of your life. Right now, just close your eyes and think about the happiest moment in your life. All right, just a couple of you. What is? All right, so what you got? Happiest moment of your life. Anybody? Shout it out. A couple of you. Three or four of you. Wedding? Where, where, whose wedding? How, how, long, how long have you been married? A year and a half? Awesome. Love it. What else did I hear? Birth of my daughter. Amen. Top of my list. For sure. Anybody else? Happiest moment. 
We got two. Do we have a third? What, the day after your wedding? <laughs> the day after your wedding. First day of real life. There we go. I love it. Awesome. So in all these happy moments, um, what I want to show you is that often I think as Christians, we think, oh, there's like, we compartmentalize our life. Think there's time with God. There's time for living. There's time of difficulty. There's time. What I want to show you is that every single one of these happy moments you thought of, the ones said and unsaid, God was very real and present in that moment. I know that sounds like super simple, like, you know, it's not rocket science. But I think it's a really important thing just to say out loud. That we sometimes, that, that we compartmentalize and forget that every single one of those happy moments, God was there. You think of the most beautiful place you've ever been to. For us, it's Big Sur, looking out, on, out among the redwoods and just these gorgeous cliffs and, oh, your family's there. And we're looking at elephant seals just smiling and God is in that moment, right? Whether, whether, wherever it is, the happiest moment, the most beautiful moment, God is there. The God who transcends time and space, he is in that moment with joy. And now you're thinking people, so you're smart. And you're also, old Brian, also he's in the saddest moments, right? He's in Auschwitz in 1945. And, and he's in, in the things we talked about with the detention centers. He's in those moments too, right? And the older I've gotten, sometimes I think we think of life as either like it's going good or it's going bad, right? You ask, hey, birthday, how was it? Was it a good year or bad year? The older I get, it's like it's both. There was good things that happened, and there was bad things that happened. Life, that's just life. Good and bad is just life. That's just life happening. But our God is a God who is redeeming all sadness. When you zoom out, we said first week he's a God of joy, that one day all sadness will be removed. That every tear, every difficulty, every, every person in a wheelchair, every, every like cancer in the body, everything, death, will be removed. All these things, completely removed, in which, in the end, will be nothing left for God but the emotion of love and joy for us. And God knows, has perspective on our life. That's where we're headed. That's where we're headed. And so when we gain perspective and awareness of all of God's goodness, right? Like if we begin to think about the good things in life, we begin to think, look at creation, you know, like we begin to spend time with Jesus. When was the last time you just opened your, the Bible and just spent a, a time with him, just soaking in his presence? When was the last time, are you, are, church, are we dabbling in God's presence or are we devoted to his presence? We devoted, or we just kind of, oh, I'm dabbling here, hoping that this some joy bomb's going to drop because I opened this up. Or are we just like, God of joy, the God of goodness, I want to experience you today. So just as we close, I just want to ask you, what is robbing your joy? What is robbing your joy? Is it circumstance? Is it, is it some, some idea that uh, of, of, of something's been done to you that you can't find it anymore? Is it financial stress? Is there a relationship? What is robbing your joy today? And may we come to God saying, God, restore my joy. Praying, God, restore the joy of my salvation. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. God, as we uh, come before you, um, I think it's easy to 
hear a talk like this thinking we have to, um, we have to strive for faith, strive for joy. Um, I think some of us here believe like maybe, you know, mistaken what confused joy with just pleasure or, or moments of happiness. But God, would you give us a deep-seated condition of the heart? Like a condition of the heart that sees the joy of God, the joy in the Lord. Paul said, rejoice. I say it again, rejoice, because I think he knows we wouldn't, weren't going to get it. And I think he knew that this joy is, is a discipline at times, a discipline to pursue gratitude, a discipline to have our eyes open in awareness, to have eyes to see God's goodness all around us. We live in a culture where it's so negative, God, to, uh, and so much negativity on the news that, God, would you, would you restore to us a vision of your goodness, God? In a vision that you love us and made us lovely and that you made us to have joy. And so, God, I pray right now um, for many of you just that God would restore your joy. And we want to pray over many of you. I just want to give some space for us to just ask God to do that, to restore our joy. See what he wants to do today. Um, one thing just popped in my mind, and I don't know if this is anybody here, but um, I feel like God was saying that there's um, maybe someone here who covers their mouth when they smile. And you're, you're embarrassed by your own smile. And I don't know what God may want to do with that person, if that's you. Um, but I do think God's maybe saying that he wants to just Pour his delight upon you. Um, so if that's you, um, we're going to have some prayer leaders to my back right. Uh, we want to pray over many of you, but if specifically, I feel like God's put that on my heart, that if you're someone who just, you cover over your smile, um, I don't know, just that picture came in my mind, and we want to pray for you. We want to pray that God would pour his delight over you, that you would experience his love, that he, he made you spiritually and emotionally.